Let's just pray together before we begin. Father, this morning we come and discern your spirit in the midst, Lord. And we come discerning your body in the midst as well. And Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that we should know the Lordship of Christ over us this morning. And we should know that wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit sweeping upon us, taking the words that I would say, making them life, so that the word becomes flesh in our experience. And Father, we ask that you may receive all the glory from the things that we are studying together. Father, we have so much to learn. Father, there are so, so many deep places that we have yet to come into. And Father, we're asking that through this morning we may take a stride forward in our understanding of what body ministry is all about. Father, without your Spirit, everything is meaningless. The flesh avails absolutely nothing. And so, Father, it is with great reliance upon your Spirit and upon you this morning that we are gathered together. We ask for your anointing to come. The anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. The anointing is that power which is creative and which does the work and fulfills the work that you have. And Father, therefore, we release the Spirit of God into this meeting <coughs> in anointing power. And we're asking in Jesus' name, you will do a creative work among us this morning by your wondrous working that, that the Father may receive all of the glory. Father, just come and take the glory in the midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are talking about fellowship life, and you'll remember we're talking about why God has established fellowships and what the purpose of fellowships uh, really are in the land today. And we've been going through certain things, and we've been talking about the aims of a fellowship. Do you remember I defined six aims but we saw that they fitted into three very important categories, and I've written the categories up to remind us. The primary aim of any fellowship is that it should show its love for the Lord himself. That comes first. The second aim then, and there are two parts to each of these, of course, the second aim then is to show, the fellowship should aim to show its love for one another, and the third aim is this, that a fellowship should try and show its love for the world that Jesus died to save. And last time when I spoke about the acid test of our love and I spoke about how important the word of God was as far as fellowship life is concerned, we actually completed our short study of number one. Well, completed it except for what I'm going to say this morning, that is. And so, of course, we would expect then to go on to number two, which is to show our love for one another. But before we do that, we've got to realize that there is a subject which actually bridges number one and number two. A subject which comes in both number one and number two, and it's the subject of body ministry. And so now, instead of just plowing straight on to number two, I'm actually going to talk about body ministry, and we're going to see today how, it, how through body ministry we show our love for the Lord, and that will go on to next time as well, and then we'll show how body ministry is part of showing our love for one another. Now, most of us think of body ministry in terms of the meetings. You know, when we come together, every man hath. That's the type of uh, thought that we have. But in fact, it's much bigger than that, as we're going to see. The body ministry comes actually from the understanding of the church as the body of Christ. 
in the Bible, there are many pictures given of the church. And each picture has a different thing to say to us. For example, there's a picture given in John 15 of the church as the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, but you are the branches of that vine. And through that picture, he's trying to tell us something about how we ought to relate to one another. Another picture is of Jesus as the great shepherd, as the good shepherd of the sheep. And we're the flock. And that tells us something else about ourselves. A few weeks ago, I ministered on that. And uh, as you, if you were there, you'll know that's not a very flattering picture at all. But it tells us important things about the church. Sometimes the church is seen as the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the bridegroom. But the one I'm going to look at this morning is this whole picture of the church as the body of Jesus Christ. Because in, in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a picture of the church as a human body. And it's that picture that tells us a lot about how the church ought to function. Let's just go to Romans 12, where we see a very short statement of this. And that's where we'll begin. And the picture that's given is this that a healthy body is a picture of a healthy church. And a healthy church, therefore, ought to be functioning like a healthy body functions. But unfortunately, it doesn't always do that. And in Romans and chapter 12, and I'm just going to read verse 4 and verse 5, where we have it expressed very, very well. Verse 4, it says this, for as we have many members in one body, and that's referring to the different parts of our body, and all the members do not have the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So in the body of Christ, we all have a part to play, and when we all play this part, then the whole body of Christ is actually healthy and moving on. When members are not acting, however, the body is not healthy. Some years ago, I saw a film uh, which was about the human body. A fascinating film. I wish we had a copy of it here this morning as a visual aid. But one of the things they did, they saw a man who was running along barefoot, and they slowed the motion down. And it's only when you slow it down, you know, that you can actually see how the muscles function. And then the camera zoomed in on the foot, and he was running on a glass sheet. And the, there was a camera underneath, a camera from the side, a camera from above, one from behind, and, and all the way around. And they slowed it right down. And I'll tell you, it was magnificent to look at that foot. The only time I've really thought a foot was beautiful <laughs> was when I saw this. Because as he was running, you could see all the work that was going on in that foot to create the, the balance needed in running. You see, when a man runs, his weight is being thrown from one side to the other, if you're running correctly. Some of you may run in an odd way. This may not apply to you. But if you're running correctly, your weight is pushed over to one side, then you hop onto the other foot, and it's pushed onto the opposite side, and so it goes on. Now, it's the foot that actually throws the weight around. And, and you could see his weight landed, and there was tremendous impact. He wasn't terribly heavy or anything, but a tremendous impact upon the foot. And you saw the foot sort of spread out. And then you saw muscles tense on one side. Say it was uh, the left foot. They were tense on the outer side, and you could see the muscles forcing the weight over into the opposite direction. And you could see all of the toes playing their part. The little toe just moved out slightly. You didn't think you could move your little toe, but it moves. 
And there it was, it moved out, and, and weight was put on it, and back the weight came into the opposite direction. And you could see all the muscles tightening. One time, one muscle was taut, and then it relaxed. Then another one was taut, then it relaxed. And all of the toes were fanning out, then coming together. It was absolutely magnificent. And I began to see just how marvellous this human body of ours is. And that's just the foot. Can you imagine how everything else functions? It's amazing what God has done in our bodies. But the picture there is vital to the church because when we're talking about body ministry, we're talking about every joint doing as much or as little as is necessary for the task to be done. Now, no matter whether you're a little toe in the body of Christ or whether you're a major thigh muscle, you have a job to do. And if the body of Christ is to be healthy, we've all got to fulfill our ministry, every one of us. If we are not, then the body is not healthy. And don't think that you, uh, you have no part in this. You do have a part in it, as you're going to see a little later on today. That's why the church must never become full of pew dwellers. And if you've come into this fellowship as a pew dweller, you're in the wrong place, and I recommend other churches where you can go. That's not it. We are functioning as a body. And that means every one of us must be open to receive and to give that which God wants us to give. A little time ago, there was a group of people who talked about the body, and they got a marvellous scheme worked out about how the head gave instructions to parts of the body and how those parts of the body sent messages down the body, you know. And the idea they had was that in the body of Christ, there were certain people up here on this level, and they received certain things in the meetings, and then they direct the ones underneath and those direct the ones underneath them and they direct the ones underneath them and you get this sort of structured thing going along. And the result was that the individual Christian couldn't do anything unless he referred it to someone above. You know, so you had, uh, for example, in the meetings, you had someone leading at the front and if someone wanted to give a prophecy, they had to put their hand up and ask permission. Or you had the ten minutes of open worship, you know, and in that they could do it, but there was Hawkeye looking out, you know, and if he didn't think it was quite right, he was going to pounce on you folks. And the idea was that that's how the body functioned. And so they had the idea, you know, the head spoke to the neck, the neck spoke to the shoulder, shoulder spoke to the top of the arm, that spoke to the lower arm, and so on onto the hand. Now you imagine, if our body functioned like that, you'd be quivering like a jelly. <laughs> you imagine, uh, you know, the head wanting to pass a message down to the foot. You'd pass it through the neck, shoulder, down the side of the body, into the leg, and then the foot would do something. <laughs> and you'd be walking around sort of like this all the time, you know? You'd be quivering or playing the piano. Can you imagine? Your arm would drop off with the vibration. <laughs> and that's the type of idea that they developed. Do you know it's not true? In fact, every member of the body is connected directly to the head. Yes, it's true. And so, my fingers can do this, and honestly, my leg's got nothing to do with it. In fact, my shoulder has nothing to do with it, you see? It's just functioning directly from the head. You'll notice, however, the skeleton does put some restraint. I mean, my arm can't fly off in that direction. <laughs> there is some restraint, and so we move in relationship to one another, but not according to one another's instructions, according to that which comes from the head. And every one of you is directly related to the head if you're a member of the body. That means that you can receive what you are to do and what you are to say and what you are to instigate directly from the head. Now sometimes it's useful to check, you know, with another part of the body. I mean, my wrist is quite capable of telling my hand that it can't do everything, you see. But generally it receives instructions straight 
from the head. Well, who's the head then? Who is the head of the body? Because that's vital to understand. And you'll notice in Romans, it's never stated who the head is. It's assumed you know it. And it's never stated in 1 Corinthians 12 who the head is. But it is stated in another passage. So let's go to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 1, and verse 18. And this is one of the most vital things for us to understand. And this is something we've got to keep in our thoughts and in our thinking. The idea of the head over the body. Now here it is. I'm going to read uh, verse 17. Talking about Jesus Christ, and it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the body. And I'll tell you this, the head of your body is the most vital part of your body. The head is the vital thing. I've been looking into heads just a little bit, you know, and understanding it, and the Lord really has led me to talk about a few things that are connected with the head. Do you know at the base of the skull, there's a little gland called the pituitary gland. Have you all heard of the pituitary gland? And the pituitary gland is a very important gland. It directs the growth and structure of the human body. And you'll notice the growth and the structure of a human body is in the head and not in the body. That's very important. And in fact, it is the pituitary gland which tells the body when to grow. It uh, makes sure all the ligaments are in the right place, you know. It uh, directs the bones coming into place with one another. And if your pituitary gland is not functioning correctly as you're growing, you will actually be a dwarf. Dwarfism comes when the pituitary gland isn't functioning right. But can you see the growth of the body and the structure of the body comes from the head and not from the body? That's the first thing. The next thing the Lord led me to was this, that it is the head which takes in information from outside, from the world outside. All that information comes in through the head and it is the head that assesses it. Also, whatever's going on in the body is assessed in the head. Not in the body, in the head. And then it's the head that tells the body how it ought to react. You know, some of us know for well, if we could lose our heads, we'd have no problems. You know, it's true. In the body of Christ, it ought to be true too. That the head is the one who interprets all things, who, who sees the problems in the body, and he is the one who directs how we ought to act. The head is the one who gives direct instructions to every member how they should move, to every muscle, how much it should be tense, how much it should be relaxed. The head is the one. And the channels to the head have got to be open. Now for us, we've got to really understand this and make sure that we put it into operation. It is the head that does these things and not the body. Now whenever a fellowship forgets that the head's in control, before long the whole thing has gone wrong. Ab absolutely wrong. Before long, life has drained from the midst of a fellowship. The moment that Jesus Christ is not ruling and reigning is the time that you may as well pack up and go home. And we've got to beware ever getting to a position where the body rules and not the head. Now, I'm a stickler for this. 
I'm an absolute stickler because I've seen it in my own life and time and time again in many fellowships how God started moving and then the body takes over. And as soon as that happens, death comes in the midst of the body. It really does. The body may be doing right things, but if it hasn't been instigated by the head, it's death. When I was first saved, you know, I was reliant totally upon God. I didn't understand this Christian walk. I didn't understand the concepts connected with body ministry and so on. And so we had to rely upon the Lord. And in 1966, 67, when I got saved, there were no books on how the body should run. You know, there were very few books on the charismatic movement and things like that. And do you know what we had to do? We had to reach out to God for it. We had to ask God how it ought to be done. And that was a great safety. But after a few months, we got used to it. The jargon had come into our mouth. The cliches, we could use them. We now were beginning to understand how to do things. And do you know what happened? We started taking over. I was one of the most capable charismatic organisers in those days. Why I could have organised the church with just by sneezing. It was simple once you'd understood the principles. That's what I thought. And yet it didn't work. And when I look at the, some of the disasters that I created in those early days, it's amazing because life didn't come. What had happened? The head had started the work and this body had taken it on. You see? That's the history of the church. You look down through the history of the church. The Holy Ghost has poured, been poured out on the people of God. The Holy Ghost has started doing things in the midst of a people. And then all of a sudden, they know how to do it. So then, man comes along with his great maulers, you know, reads the Word of God, oh yes, I see how to do it, and they start organising it. You see, and they do this, and they do that, and they get this done, and boys, before long, the whole thing's really in order, and it's fantastic. And yet, within a few years, the thing is lifeless and dead and religious as can be. Why? The head actually has lost control over the body. And we've got to be aware of this. And do you know, I tell you, it's over my dead body that the head loses control in our fellowship. Right? And some of you might say, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. You'll have God to contend with. It's the head that has to direct. Many of you come to see me fairly frequently and uh, tell me about the way you think the fellowship ought to be going. I'm very pleased when you do that, by the way, because I'm interested in hearing what people have to say. But those of you who've been will always know how I normally complete the conversation. I always say, has the Lord told you that? Is that from God or is it not? And I find most people have to say, well, no, I can't say it's from God. And that's the question, isn't it? Is it the Lord that has done this, or is it not? And as I've gone on in God, I, do you know, I have learnt now that sometimes his thoughts are not my thoughts, and my thoughts are not his thoughts. There's a, a great difference between us, and we have to wait on the Lord until we hear the voice of the Lord. I suppose it's a bit like a washing machine, you know. You can read the instruction book, can't you, and say, oh yes, E does this, and F does this, and G does this, and all the programmes do this. But the timing mechanism's in the machine. The machine is in control of those programs as they flick round. We have got to make sure, as a fellowship, that it is the head that is in control. Now, I've got quite a bit to say on this. By the way, you ever studied the history of Israel? Have you? In detail. Would you have run Israel the way God's run Israel? Would you? I wouldn't. Definitely I would not. And I have found, as I've read it, sometimes I have to say to God, God, 
What were you doing? What? How could you have done that? That's ridiculous. And yet God has run Israel that way. Do you know the book of Habakkuk? It's a lovely book. Dear old Habakkuk thought he understood the way God acted. And so he's praying and then he says, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? And then God starts to move and his problem becomes worse because God doesn't move in the way he thought God was going to move. And you remember, he gets really out of fellowship about it. You know, he says, God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and you haven't done it the way I thought you were going to do it. What are you doing? Are you sure you're in control of this group? Let me tell you this. Israel's still around 4,000 years later. And I'll tell you, that the history of Israel is the time and motion man's nightmare. An efficiency expert takes one look at that and I'll tell you, that's not the way he would have done it. But if he had done it, Israel would have died out like the Assyrians did years ago. Assyria was much more organised, you know, much more organised than Israel was. But Israel is here 4,000 years on and God is still going to fulfil his covenants to them. His plan is perfect. Bless the name of the Lord. Or the church. Ever had a look at the history of the church? You really have to be in control of yourself when you do it. It's a terrible thing. Yet Jesus is the head of the church. Would you have run the church the way Jesus ran the church? I bet you wouldn't. And that's why it wouldn't have been here if you'd run the church. 2,000 years on, the church is still here. When we reach heaven, we're going to understand how the church has been run. We're going to see the other side of the tapestry. It looks like all odds and ends. It looks like a chaos. Yet there's a plan in it. God's plan is there. We don't understand God's ways. And you know what the Word of God says? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And as I've gone on, I have learnt that that is the case. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the thing that has to come in first above anything else. I remember that story of John Newton, you know. John Newton was a lovely Christian, but he wanted to go deeper with God. And he thought he knew how God worked. So he prayed and he said, God, I want to go deeper into you. I want to have a greater dependence upon you. And he thought God would give him a vision of himself, a vision of Jesus. We sing the chorus, just a vision of Jesus. That's what he longed for. Or he thought God would give him some fantastic experience which would lead him on. Do you know what happened? For nine months, that man went into one of the blackest periods he ever had in his life. And he thought, God, where have you gone? Where have you gone? After nine months, he suddenly found that he was more dependent upon God than he'd ever been in his life. His ways were not God's ways and God's ways weren't his ways. Do you see? And what we have to understand is this, that we've got to discern what is God's voice and when it is God's time, let the head be head. If the body ever takes over, we are finished. Absolutely finished. And so we have to start discerning what the will of the Lord is. This is why I think that any tapes or books which give detailed instructions on how to structure a fellowship are very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because it's so easy to read the book and then say, great, we'll put that into operation. And so you do. And you know, there are churches up and down this country who've done it. And yet the life's gone. The life's vanished from the midst. They know how to do it now, not dependent on the head. I've had to learn this dependency upon the head. And I'll tell you something. When I see lacks in our own fellowship, I know what the answer is very often. 
But you know, I don't turn to the answer, I turn to the head. And I ask the head. My wife will tell you the agonies I walk around in sometimes. You wouldn't believe it, some of you people in this fellowship. You wouldn't. Let's, let me take an example. Uh, I've been very concerned in our own fellowship about the new people who are coming in. I want to see them coming through into maturity. I want to see them coming through and being really, I hate to use the word, discipled, you know, so that they understand what, what the things of God are all about. I've longed to see the new people who've just been saved really coming through into the deep things of God. And, of course, there are plenty of books to tell me how to do it. But I'll tell you, my burden has been inside. And Ross will tell you very often, in fact, for the last six months, I've been pacing the kitchen often at lunchtime. I'll be walking up and down. She'll say, Roger, you're pacing the kitchen, you know? And I'll be saying to her, Ross, God's got to speak to us about how to do this. God's got to do it. It's getting urgent. It's getting really urgent in the midst. God, please, show us how to do it. Do you see? Now, I've read all the books on it, but it's the head that's got to be in control. And certain people, of course, have come and said, oh, Roger, shouldn't we be doing this? Shouldn't we be doing that? And we should be. But the head is the one who is in charge of the growth and the structure. And we've got to hear from the head. And let me tell you, God always answers. I've had six months of the most tremendous burden upon me. I've been burdened as I'm driving my car. I've been seeking God, you know, really, really getting to grips with my God about this subject. And on Thursday last, I was travelling along in the car and suddenly heaven opened. And the answer just dropped into my lap after six months. I got home to Roz and I said, Roz, it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. And she'll confirm this. Do speak to her about it if you want to know what being burdened's like. You know, I'm burdened about many, many things, you know, but I take them to God. And I said, Roz, it's God shown me. And I, it's this and this, and it's so easy. And by the way, I've rung the elders and all of them have said, Roger, that's so easy, it's so right. And in the next elders' meeting, we'll be talking about it. It's as easy as pie. But what's the difference? It hasn't been got from a book, although you can find the answer in a book. It's the head that's spoken. Can you see? Even over Bible studies. I believe Bible study is very important. I long for the day when we have a Bible study at least once a week. But the head must direct it. And you know the agony I've been through. But when's the head going to say move? The moment he does, we'll do it. And that's what we've got to come into. Okay? Let me just show you in another part of Colossians where it says it's vital to hold on to the head. Go to Colossians and chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18 and 19. And this has, doesn't have to do with um, church structure, but it has to do with the way they were worshipping. In the area of, uh, the, in which the Colossian church worshipped, People used to worship angels. And some of these folk have got converted. And do you know what they've done? They brought their old ways with them into the church. And these people were trying to pervert the church with their old thinking. I praise God for our baptism. When you were baptized, you died. Not just your bad parts, your good parts as well. Hallelujah. Because God can't use either of those except they're resurrected by him and taken up by him directly. Verse 18. Here's the warning. Let no man beguile you, no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels. And they were saying to them, oh, you're not, uh, you're not spiritual enough. This is the way you ought to do it. And these people were being brought into condemnation. 
intruding into those things which he hath seen. It's, the knot is not there. It should be cut out. Intruding into things which he has seen. Here's someone who's got an understanding in his own mind. And so he comes along. The head's not in control. He's got the understanding. And so he says, why? He says, this is the way you ought to do it. He's intruding into things or intruding into your life with things that he has seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. All of us have been through this stage. We know how to do it. Yes, you just try it and beware. Just beware, you know, because very often there's a sting in the tail if you do that. Now look what it says, verse 19. And not holding the head. Not holding onto the head. The head is the source of all life. I could tell you example after example of fellowships around this country who've had a problem and instead of just waiting on the Lord and trying to get the Lord's viewpoint, they've tried to implement easy solutions. And it's death in the midst. We have two people in our fellowship here who actually belong to a fellowship that tried to instigate easy solutions. They had a certain problem. Their problem was one of numbers, as ours is, by the way. And then, oh yes, the, le the elder of this fellowship, he knew how to do it. And so he started instigating what ought to be done. Within six months, there was no fellowship left in that area. And not just no fellowship, there were people who were seriously, very badly damaged by what had gone on. And in fact, today, the remnants, the survivors of that, are trying to put the thing back together. And there are only a handful of them left. It's a tragedy. And what have they done wrong? By the book, they've done everything right. But the head hadn't spoken. I never forget in this fellowship the day when, about uh, six years ago, seven years ago, we were meeting in my flat. We had a meeting. And I had a vision of a resignation letter. How many of you were there at that meeting? Put your hands up. Here are the early day people. Put your hands down. And like a fool, I gave it out. You know? Oh, I got a vision of a letter. And it's a resignation letter. And it was me that had written the letter. I hereby resign and take my hands off the body of Jesus Christ in this area. And God spoke to me. He said, Roger, if you are in charge of this fellowship, then it's going to be limited and it won't grow above a certain number. But if I'm in charge, then I will fulfill my complete purpose. And that day, and those people who were there will testify of this, I resigned. And I hadn't been sleeping up to that time by the way, the worry and the concern. There were only a few of us as well. It was too much for me. And how to organize this thing, how to get it done, I couldn't do it. I slept like a baby from that day on. I handed over to God. And I learnt through that experience that if this fellowship is to remain in life and to remain as God wants it to remain, it's the head that has got to be over everything. Oh, I remember the day when we had a problem with single people. We had loads of single people in our fellowship. I was one of them. And these single people, <laughs> these single people were coming up to me and they were saying, Roger, we've got nowhere to go. Oh dear, in the evenings I'm so lonely. So Roger had the brilliant idea. Right, and I went round to married couples. I said, could you open your house on a Monday? Could you open your house on a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday? That was Roger. And these people said, yes. And they opened up their houses. And the first week, the people came. Second week, no one came. The third week, no one came. Fourth week, no one came. And the fifth week, I had to go around and minister to these married couples about rejection. <laughs> you see, I've learnt something 
And I've learnt something that perhaps people who've only been in our fellowship haven't learnt. That unless God is in control, nothing is going to be achieved at all. I find, by the way, that elders who are in charge of very small fellowships, they know this is true. They've tried everything in the book and their fellowship still hasn't grown. And they've still got terrible problems. And they would nod their heads like mad. Those of you who've come from churches who were moving in the spirit, in inverted commas, but then suddenly found man imposing things on it. You will nod. Nod, please, now. Yes, there are people nodding. You all know it doesn't work. Man's schemes don't work. Why? Because the body functions only from the head. And the elders of our fellowship are not going to move until the head speaks. Hallelujah. And by the way, that means sometimes we go through messy, chaotic times. I was speaking to Uncle Sid a few weeks ago, and we both agreed about this. And I made a comment about children, you know, saying, you know, Ros's house, my house and Ros's house always used to look immaculate till we had children. He said, yes, he said, whenever there's life about, there's always a mess. <laughs> and isn't that true? We have the elder and his wife of the Central London Fellowship came to see us on Friday. And sometimes if we do this, we get the children fed and to bed. And then we can relax with them. But they come to see the children, so we thought we won't. And so we sat the children with us, you know, and they were having their meal too. The very first thing that happened was David wanted to see what the table looked like under the tablecloth. So the very first, the meal began, before we said grace, with his milk all over the table and tablecloth. And isn't that lovely? And I smiled and said, praise the Lord for children. Hallelujah. Do you know, there are some people who don't like fellowships being messy and don't like them going through times where it seems chaotic. But you may as well face up to it. When you've got a building site, you're going to have it. Please face up to that. Either that or you're going to have something that's sterile, runs like clockwork, but it's sterile. And before long, it's not going to work. I wonder, you know whether if you were put in bootle by the Lord and he said, develop a fellowship, I wonder how you would go about it. Many of you will find that being the person in charge of the development of a fellowship is not quite as easy as you thought it was. You know, we've got to hear from the head. Now, do you see the point I'm making? And we as a fellowship, if we're going to have body ministry and if we're going to be the body of Christ, have got to make sure it's the head that we hear from. That also means that when we minister, every one of us, it's the head that ministers. Every person has got to hear directly from the head. And in our meetings, when we meet together, the head has got to speak. Do you know, when we meet together, body ministry does not mean that the body ministers. Body ministry means that the head ministers through the body. That's vital. All right, let's go to another passage. Oh, and by the way, verse 19, can I just read the rest? and not holding the head, from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. And here's a statement that growth and structure comes from the head and not from anything else. And by the way, the pituitary gland wasn't discovered until a hundred years after this was written. Isn't that wonderful? And here in the Bible you have a correct statement. Growth and structure come from the head. And let us beware, any person that tries to structure, beware of simplistic answers. You may find eventually a simplistic answer is, is put into operation, like this discipling that we're going to have. It's so easy, you'll all say, oh, I saw that six months ago. The head has moved, and that's the point. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Not verse 14, sorry about that, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 4, 
Now, look what it says, and this is talking specifically about body ministry. And I'm going to read verse 4, 5, and 6, where you have the Trinity mentioned. Here's the Trinity mentioned in these verses. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but it is the same Spirit. Isn't that lovely? Do you know, before a conference, ministers don't collude together about what they're going to speak about. But you always find their ministry slots in. It's the most amazing. At Caster, which is the best conference we've ever had, all the ministries slotted in in a fantastic way. Yet we didn't have one word on the telephone before the conference began. It was amazing. Why? Well, there's one spirit. And if we're all receiving of one spirit, it will all flow and be perfect. Now, there's one, there are um, many gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5, there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. The Holy Spirit's in verse 4, Lord Jesus in verse 5. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, and that's the Father, which worketh all in all. And I asked the Lord, Lord, why is it that in verse 6 we've got the Father, in verse 5 we've got Jesus, and verse 4 we have the Spirit? And the Lord showed me this, that these are actually warnings about the thing that's mentioned in each verse. Let's take them in reverse order. In verse 6 it says, there are diversities of operations. The word operations has to do with the word energy and it's talking about the ministry of power, the healing ministries, the, the ministry of, of miracles in the midst. And do you see what it says? But it's the same God the Father. And do you know why God is mentioned there? To warn those people lest they take any of the glory for themselves. And this is the trouble with those dynamic ministries. It's so easy to take the glory unto yourself and leave the Father without any glory. He will not share his glory with another. And so the Father's mentioned with the operation there. The next one, go to verse 5, is administration. This refers to anything practical in the body of Christ. The deacon, this is talking to. It's also to, talking to the elders, by the way, as they seek out in their rulership capacity that I'll be speaking about when I come on to elders. And the warning here is, if you are a practical man, and if you are capable in the natural, make sure Jesus is Lord, will you? It's so easy, isn't it, in these natural things, to get out of the spirit, as it were, and into the natural. Make sure Jesus is Lord over these things. Make sure you're tuned into the head. And then verse 4, when it's talking about gifts, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's given is very important. Because whenever we move in a gift, it has to be by the anointing of the Spirit. And there's a warning that I'm going to give you in just a moment about that. Go then to verse 7, and this is the basis of our fellowship life together in the, in the meetings. Look what it says. If you believe this verse, you should be a member of this fellowship. If you do not, and if you're a hearer of this word, you should not be anywhere near this fellowship. Verse 7 says... But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. That includes every one of you who's born again in the midst. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to benefit with all. So in other words, if you are part of this fellowship, you must know this is a basic scripture for us. When we come together, we believe every man can receive from the head. And he wants to manifest his Spirit through you yes he does to, to benefit everyone else 
if you are not open to God and reaching up to God in the meetings to receive for that meeting, then you have actually made the body of Christ into a paralytic or into a spastic. That's what you've done. Simply because you're saying, I don't care what the head says, I'm not open to receive a message from the head. And there you are, you're a a little finger, you're not going to move. That's a paralysed body. And the body of Christ at the moment limps very often because the members will not receive from the head. Either that or it causes other members to be hyperactive. This is a major problem. Certain people who are open channels receive and receive and receive and receive and receive and they give and give and give and give and give. And and the funny thing is, they're only doing that because other channels are shut off. And yet they're the ones that are criticised. I've noticed this. People say, oh, it's the same old people ministering. Well, do you know how to stop it being the same old people ministering? You minister for a change. That's right. And I can tell you, I've spoken to most of the people in our fellowship who minister a lot. Most of them would love not to minister. We've got to realise the fault's not on that side. The fault's on the side of those people who are not going to move. They come into the meetings, they're not here to move. They are here simply to occupy a pew. You've come to the wrong church. And if you are coming to that, coming along to us with that in mind, that you're never going to move, you're never going to receive from the Lord, you are damaging our fellowship. And you are damaging those members who are actually moving because you're causing them to move more than they ought to move. I've known some meetings in our own fellowship where the majority of people are switched off. Switched off to God. And you know, bless their hearts, I've seen hyperactive people moving in. They have a burden and they see everyone else is switched off and they don't know how to deal with it. And so they start a chorus. They pray. They give a prophecy out and they minister in the same meeting. That's never right. That's never right. It's like the hand, the foot, having to paint. You know, a man who paints with his foot is because his hand's not working. And the foot not only walks, it has to paint, it has to lift the cup and do all the other things. That's all wrong. But what's at fault? It's the hand at fault, not the foot. And we are so large, we should never have to minister more than once, any one of us. I tell you this, I come to every meeting with nothing. But in every meeting I reach out to God. That's what I'm doing, actively reaching out to God. I go home exhausted sometimes. I'm not just a spectator in our meetings. I'm reaching up to the Lord to receive. Lord, what have you got to say to us? It's active participation. Beloved, we've got to make sure we're open in these areas. We really must do that. Because God's got a lot of things to do and to say to us. You'll notice that the gifts, and there are nine of them, are divided into three groups. You have, first of all, gifts of revelation. Gifts of revelation. A word of knowledge comes in that. A word of wisdom comes in that and discerning of spirits comes in that. They're the three. The gifts of revelation. And these are not always to be used in the meetings. These are to be used outside of the meetings as well. So they're the three that are the gifts of revelation. Then you've got three that are the gifts of power. Right? The gifts of power. And these again are sometimes used in the meetings but just as often outside the meetings. And here they are They are gifts of healing, the gift of miracles, and the gift of faith. Those three. And then you've got three which are vocal gifts. And these are the ones we see more than any others, and it's right that we do. And these are the ones that occupy the meetings, you see. And we've got three of those. We've got tongues, we've got interpretation of tongues, 
and we've got prophecy. They are the three most frequent, and do you know, I believe with all my heart, it's when we start functioning in those correctly that we'll see the others coming into function. Why is it that those three are more obvious and more prominent than the others? Well, it's because all of us can do them. Yes, all of us can do them. Every one of you can do these things. To show you that, go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5. One Corinthians fourteen and verse five, and Paul says, "I would that ye all spake with tongues." Now, all is all. Do you know it's part of your inheritance to speak with tongues? I want you all to speak with tongues, but even more to prophesy. You can all speak with tongues, and you can all prophesy. And in verse thirty-one, it says that you can all prophesy. All right, here it says for ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And I'll probably be speaking about that a bit next time. But the warning I want to give you is a very important one and this is the sting of, in the tail of this talk. Those three are gifts of the Spirit. Now the trouble with most of us is we become professional in them. We can do them now. You can speak with tongues now, can't you? Yeah, I can speak with tongues. You can prophesy. Oh, yeah, I can prophesy. And unfortunately, this means that very often it's not the Spirit that's controlling those things. We are. When I first prophesied, you know, I couldn't prophesy, and a man called Richard Bolt said, is there anyone who wants to prophesy? So I, like a fool, put my hand up. You know? He said, come out the front. So I went out the front, and they sat there. He said, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to prophesy. So he laid hands on my head, and nothing happened. He said, right, stand up and prophesy. <laughs> there was just nothing. And I was expecting a sort of ticker tape thing in front of my eyes, you know, thus says the... Slow down there. Thus says the... <laughs> reading it off, you see, like this. That's what I thought it was going to be like. And then that didn't happen, so I thought, well, Lord, give me the words in my head. And I was expecting a booming voice. Said, thus says the Lord. <laughs> and it wasn't. And so I stood there for ten minutes, you know, five minutes, whatever it was. And so I thought, well, all right, if he says I can prophesy, I can prophesy, and I'm going to. Thus saith the Lord, I said. Total silence. <laughs> and then all I said was, I love you. <laughs> That's it. And everyone clapped. But after that time, I'll tell you, it had to be the Holy Ghost that ministered through me in prophecy. It had to be. Because I did, couldn't do it. it I, and I used to feel the anointing of God come heavily upon me. And even now, by the way, I never prophesy unless I feel the anointing of God heavily upon me. I can prophesy right now if you want, but it's not going to be the full impact of the Holy Ghost if I just do it. I switch it on. That's no use. But after a while, I began to notice I could do it. It was easy, you know? And I tell you this, we've got to beware of that. We want to hear from heaven. We want 100% from heaven. 100% from heaven. That's what we've got to do. There are places to go. By the way, in verse 3, in verse 3, it says here, He that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And I believe that our prophecy falls into one of those categories. There are prophecies, and we get loads of them, that are in comfort, you know? And these are ones, I love you, saith the Lord. Very often they're just for one person in the midst. 
you know, they're not for the majority, they're just for one. And may I say, when a word of comfort comes out, the meeting can just continue straight after that word of prophecy. That's just for one person who will have picked it up. But, beloved, there are places to go and greater depths in prophecy. There really are. And what we've got to get onto is words of exhortation and edification. We all know that time when God speaks in prophecy and heaven opens and suddenly this word comes down and it's God. When we receive a word like that, we've got to take it in. We, we all know that it's come from heaven. The thing that grieves the Holy Ghost more than anything else is when someone, having heard from heaven like that, then begins a twee little chorus or immediately stands up and ministers so that the impact of that heavenly word, not all prophecies are in this, but that you know when a heavenly word's been spoken. And as soon as it's been given, someone stands up starts a twee little chorus. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, from today onwards, the, whole, the elders are going to stop that happening. We are actually going to stop people just moving on. So please, don't be offended if it happens to you. If we've heard from heaven, we won't do it after every prophecy, but when we've heard from heaven and heaven's opened and someone starts a chorus, an elder's going to stand up and say, excuse me, we're going to wait on the Lord to consider that prophecy just a bit. From today onwards. And if it happens, don't take offence, it's nothing personal. If it keeps happening to you, don't take offence, but hear what God's trying to say to you. You're doing it too often, you see. Now, having said that, do you know something? We can get used to the whole way we worship. And as soon as we do it, we can get woody about it. And God wants us to remain fresh and green. He doesn't want the woodiness coming in. We can all get woody. Yes, even in our praise, you know. But may I say this, every fellowship, every single fellowship, goes through this problem if they carry on for five or ten years. When they're new then everything's fresh and green. Wow, it's wonderful. You get fantastic praise. But you see, when you've been praising God in the way we do for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, when you uh, get on to ten years, eleven years, twelve years, like this, then in fact, you can get used to it. And so you come to the meeting, you're switched off to God, and you just sing the three little choruses. That's a complete blot on the whole body of Christ. What he wants is freshness in the midst. But unless every one of us in every meeting is reaching out to God, concentrating on the head, we'll go into religion and it's going to become as stale as can be. It must never become stale. And then we'll go to fellowships that meet once a month or young places and we'll say, they're so fresh. Why have we become so stale? I'll tell you why. We've got used to what we're in. It's a great danger. I want to just play a little bit of a tape here this is a fellowship I went to in the east end of London. It's churches that got together and they come together once a month just to praise the Lord. And they've got a group that play with them and these groups are really amateurish but as they're playing, they're reaching out to God. You know, when you're playing instruments, you can just be playing. That's useless. We've got to reach out to God in worship. And I saw these people and there's a drummer in this and his eyes were closed, he was playing and honestly, as he was playing, he was worshipping God and the anointing fell. And I've ministered to this group. And the freshness. I could play tapes from many places. But I want you to hear this one. And listen. Don't listen to the actual song. Listen to the freshness of these people. These people are not fellowship people. These people who only once a month can praise God like this. And you listen to the freshness that's in this. We've got to remain fresh all the time. Just listen. 
for two and a half hours after I'd spoken, I was ministering to individuals in that crowd. They were one of the most unsorted out group of people you've ever met. But when they came together, this was their great opportunity to praise God. They couldn't do it in their own churches. They were going to do it this night or else. And of course, I'd ministered to them all about really moving out. And they were moving out. Could you feel these people were moving out in God? It's so easy, you know, to just relax. Well, we have this all the time. Get used to it, you know. Start a twee little chorus over here. Oh, there's a gap in the meeting. Start a little chorus. That's not from the head. And if it's not from the head, it's not life. It really isn't. And beloved, I want to say this. When we move on in God, if you are fruitful, there's a tendency to become woody. I was telling Roz what I was going to say, you know, because these, these talks, by the way, these talks that I give, I don't write them, they grow in me. They do, you see. They, they, they grow, and sometimes I try and write it, and it doesn't come right. And I have to say, oh, it's not time, and I put it aside. It's got to grow a bit more. It's not done by me, it's done by the Spirit of God within me, do you see? Anyway, I was telling her what God was revealing, and she said, Raj, she said, that's amazing. She said, this morning I've had a vision of raspberry cane. And she, and do you know we've got raspberry canes in our garden? The fruitful boughs become woody and you have to chop them down. And didn't Jesus say that? Yes, in John 15 and verse 2. Have you ever read that? Can we just turn to it quickly? In John 15, verse 2. And it's, uh, I've de dealt with this on the eternal security tape, so... Uh, if you don't understand verse 2, part A, you must listen to that tape. It's, it's verse 2, part B, that I want to read. John 15, B. Here it is. Every branch that beareth fruit. So these are people in our fellowship who are fruitful. These are people who minister regularly. Right? These are people who start choruses regularly. Look what it says. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. He prunes the thing. If you want more fruit, you've got to be pruned. And then it says that it may bring forth more fruit. And this is something we've got to understand. When you move out in prophecy or anything, you can become woody, professional. It just flows out. Any old words flow out, you know, and it just hasn't got it. And people sometimes sit there thinking, oh Lord, we've got to go deeper than this. And I would say this, if you have become woody in your ministry, please, will you make sure that you reach upward and higher, upward and higher in your ministry? And if necessary, stop ministering and seek God's face until the freshness comes and the greenness is re-established in the midst. I want to tell you something else. If the freshness and praise and worship and in our meetings is not evident, I will ask the elders that we will stop all meetings in our fellowship for a period of two weeks or a month and we'll spend every meeting just waiting on God. Hallelujah. Until the freshness starts coming through. This is a problem, by the way, you don't find in a younger fellowship. Remember this, we're moving on. There aren't many fellowships that have got to the stage we've got and maintained the life. They've gone into religion or things have collapsed. So we're moving into new territory. But the head must be the one in control of every meeting. You've got to be open to it. By the way, on, um, uh, on the same evening, these are EastEnders, you know, they've got no inhibitions. On the same e evening, uh, a chap took me at my word and I'd ministered about going deeper with God. I'd said there are places to go. I said I'm all the time exercised. I've got to go deeper. And he said, right, I'm going to go deeper. He prophesied before, but he'd never sung a prophecy. And I have a recording here, and we're going to play it, of this young man 
He'd never sung a prophecy before. And I want you to know this. It's the second best sung prophecy I've ever heard. The first best was up in York and the elder of the fellowship gave that prophecy. It had four verses and they all rhymed and the tune was fantastic. And it wasn't recorded. I said, what are you doing recording my talk when you haven't recorded that? It's a nonsense. That's the best. This is the second best. Now what I want you to see is this is not a chap who's used to body ministry or anything. This is a chap who heard there was more and decided he was going to reach for more. And this is the first sung prophecy he's ever given. And was he nervous? Now we've just been singing a Jewish-style song and so the tune came out in a Jewish way. But I want you to listen to it. The Spirit still anoints it. Now you just take this in. The Lord has come to lift his people high. He has come to give praise to himself through his people. The Lord is calling on each one to exalt him and to make straight the path. He is calling you aside those things which hinder him from moving. The Lord has got great plans for you. The Lord he is almighty and wants to, to show to the people outside that he lives among his people. The Lord he wants to use you, but he needs your heart to be broken. He wants you to surrender. He wants you to say, yes, Lord, you tell me where to go, God. I will follow. I will not fail to follow you, Lord. He wants his people to be people of strength who will go out and do wondrous exploits for him. So therefore rejoice in your God. Give him the praise which is due to him. Give him your whole heart, not just the five, but give him all because he is so worthy. Now, that's his first sung prophecy. Of course, as he goes on in this ministry, he's going to get woody. He'll get woody himself. And then he's got to be pruned, you see. He doesn't know that yet. I'll tell him, <laughs> right? And I want to say this. We've got places to go. And very often, it's the green shoots that show us how woody we've got. And that's why it's necessary for everyone to move out in ministry with the freshness, with the anointing. All of us have got to move upwards. I'll tell you this, I am constantly going through pruning myself. I, have, I want to say one other thing. I'm so grateful that I'm part of a fellowship where if I should ever get stale and woody, then in fact I can stop. Many ministers can't, you know, otherwise they have no income coming in. But I can stop to wait upon the Lord. That's wonderful. But you know, every talk I give is an agony to my soul. That many of you don't know the agonies that I will go through. But my wife will tell you, every talk I have to seek God. It doesn't come easy. Nothing comes easy. 
And sometimes when in a fellowship meeting I've reached out to God and I've ministered, very often I'll have to ring people in the fellowship. I do it frequently and say, I was wrong to minister tonight, wasn't I? You know, or that wasn't really of the spirit what I said tonight, was it? And they normally say, yes, it was. It was, it was really right. But do you see what's happening? In myself, there's this pruning going on because I want to hear from God himself. Now, beloved, we've got to realize that at this stage in, the, in our development, it's so easy to get woody, to take things for granted. So you've prophesied, great. But you've got to go deeper than that. And if necessary, you've got to stop prophesying until you have gone deeper than that. And those of you who have never prophesied, move out. It's not going to be like this necessarily, but move out. We will never despise those small things, but we've got to come through together for the head to minister. We all need this constant pruning. We've all got to be fresh, constantly in the spirit. You tell me if I get woody, will you, any time? When the talk of mine, oh, it's old platitudes, we've heard it all before. You tell me, right? Because I will seek God. I'm reaching higher myself. I'm going to come into greater things, hallelujah. We've all got to come into greater things. This is why we're in the body. But it's the spirit that's got to do the work. That's the important thing. All right, having said all of that, praise God, let me show you where we're going next week. Just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. And this is another key verse as far as our fellowship is concerned and why we have totally unstructured uh, meetings. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath? Why? Because you're directly connected to the head. Everyone hath. And then it lists them, a psalm. Now it's from heaven. Don't just start a chorus because you want a chorus. Ask God, is this the chorus, Lord? There should be an anointing on every chorus that started because it's from God. And if we all with one accord are gathered together to worship him, there'll be an anointing on everything that is sung. A psalm has a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, including visions there, hath an interpretation, and you'll get a full mixed diet. But every time we come together, God wants to speak to us. And so we have to reach out to God to hear what he's saying. And here's the key. Let all things be done unto edifying. So next time I'm going to talk about how any divide among Christians is wrong. There are no elitist group that do the ministering. We are all ministers. And I'll be showing you how, just how wrong the body of Christ has gone in many of these things. Now we've got to move on. And let's ask God to prune us. Let's ask God for greater depths in our ministry. Praise God. And if you've never ministered before, you ask God to open you up as a channel of God that you might receive the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. See you next time. God bless. Amen.